Welcome to Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer and I work in Silicon Valley. I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and I've been calling the U.S. home for the last 20 years. When it comes to Latinos in the U.S., we are 60 million people, but we're only 3% of the workers in science or engineering. As a professional in Silicon Valley, I've had the opportunity to meet some remarkable professionals that work in the tech industry, Latinos like me. With this podcast, I want to bring you a collection of their stories and how they got a job in tech in the first place. And if they had to start all over again, what would they do differently? I want to share with you career advice on how to get a job in tech, how to deal with imposter syndrome, how to find your tribe when you're the only one in the room. This is Latinos Who Tech. Juan Lopez Marcano, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. Thank you for having me, Hugo. This is our second time. First time was in Spanish. It was a pleasure the first time, and it's a pleasure now. I'm glad to be here. I'm going to try to help people as much as we can. A lot of people have asked me about is not only to do the podcast in English as well, to reach that second generation audience, but also we live in this bubble of Silicon Valley right. and a recurring theme for young professionals and people that are just starting their journey, their career is a matter of salaries and yeah. compensation. And there's this uh, taboo of in our community, I'm sure you know this, that it's taboo to talk about how much money you make or the fact that, oh, I'm not going to ask for more money because uh, they're just offering me enough. And we actually create this vicious cycle. Exactly. Where we are underpaid. Exactly. And we're okay uh, being underpaid. And I wanted to talk with you because you're clearly not okay being underpaid. I'm not. <laughs> and, 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 and you listening to this, neither should you. So I wanted to get a take on your story and how you've been navigating this ecosystem in Silicon Valley to get to where you are now at Uber. Yeah. So um, tell me your story. Even though we're talking about salaries, my story doesn't really look like I was optimizing for salaries, but we'll, we're going to get to that later. I want to point out that what you're saying is true. It is a taboo in the Hispanic community somehow to talk about salaries. I talk about salaries with my friends. In fact, I talk about salaries with most of my non-Hispanic friends because my Hispanic friends are, I don't know, they are afraid of telling me or feel uncomfortable. And I don't know how much they make, but my non-Hispanic friends know how much I make and I know how much they make. And we share because that's how we make sure that we're not underpaid. Some advice that somebody told me once is to not be the person making the most money in your team. Be number two, because number one is going to get laid off if there is a budget cut or something. So that's some advice that somebody gave to me. My journey started, I would say it started in 2016. At the end of 2016, I was finishing my internship. Well, in, the, in August 2016, I was finishing my internship at Intel. And I had talked with the manager a couple of times informally. And he wanted to give me a return offer. And because I am the way I am and because I talk with people, I knew how much more or less I was going to be offered. And I played it risky. And I told him that if the salary wasn't X number of dollars above what they were thinking, I was not going to open the PDF. So I played it super risky. 
but I had great reviews backing me up so that he could use later for some PowerPoint presentation on how or why it was okay to give me a bit more mm-hmm. or maybe or maybe it was much more. I don't know. Yeah. At the and, end. And your background is in Yes, my background is my my degree is in electrical engineering. Both of my degrees. I have a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a master's in electrical engineering. And in my master's I did a thesis in machine learning and The role that I was going to start at Intel was not quite machine learning related, but it was 100% software engineering, which I had proved with blood, sweat, and tears that I could do pretty well. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm a strong believer that you can learn something new from anyone you meet. That is why every month I compile all the key learnings from this podcasting experience and summarize them in my monthly newsletter. I curate the resources we talk about, key learnings, books I'm currently reading, and give you recommendations on how to become a better Latino professional. You can sign up following the show notes or at latinoswhotech.com. Thank you. So you you took this risky route. So how did it go in the end when you said that thing about the PDF? I love it, by the way. Oh, it went the way I want it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And so that was one risky play that went well. And then later on, I felt like I was missing machine learning too much. Nowadays, there's a lot of people trying to get into machine learning. But in my case, it was more like I was in machine learning before Intel. And I wanted to get back to it. And it didn't feel like Intel was the right place because there were some layoffs. There was some uncertainty. And being on an H-1B visa, I wanted to have my dream job, but also feel safe. So I started exploring and asking people outside. And I ended up landing a couple of offers. And the funny thing was that the negotiation for me over here was that I just knew that I had the upper hand for multiple reasons. One, I met the bar. Two, I was in a safe job. I was not going to get laid off or anything like that. I just wanted to get back to this field. Third, I had had talks with the manager, honest talks with the manager every two weeks about how I was doing and how I was progressing. And I knew there was either a promotion or a big bonus coming to me. So when negotiation time came, I didn't think of what I was making at the moment. I thought of what I was going to make in four months after the promotion or the big bonus. So I just projected the salary. And then I said, well, do I want to stick with this salary for three years? And part of me said yes. So I said, okay, I'm going to ask this company that much money, but a bit more. And there was some pushback. There was some going back and forth because I was interviewing with some startups. And During that negotiation, I learned how RSUs work in an offer, how options work in an offer, how this additional part of your compensation package works and how it affects your salary. Well, not your salary, but your total compensation. Got it. Because one thing is the base salary. So let's put some numbers in it just for the, even hypothetically. Exactly. um, Let's say that your base salary is... 110 and that uh, you get uh, $40,000 in RSUs. And those $40,000, they might seem like a lot of money at the time. Like it's like the cherry on top. But the reality is that there are cliffs exactly. in the vesting schedule. So uh, the way that in most companies, the way that it works is that you get a quarter of those RSUs each year. So 
if they're counting on you jumping ship every two years, you're going to get 20,000 of those RSUs. But guess what? Welcome to California. Perfect weather <laughs> and huge taxes. So you're going to get 10K of those or 11K, something yeah. like that. So and if you... And if those RSUs appreciate, yeah, you do have to pay your, I don't know, 40 to 50% tax on those RSUs that you get. And you also have to pay for uh, the capital gains or the other taxes. That number you don't, that you see is not that high percentage-wise. Right. So it's funny money. So it might be in your advantage to actually negotiate the higher base salary, I suppose, that, that you get right now. You exactly. know, get that short-term reward. You know, like the RSUs, they're nice. But exactly. don't count on them. Exactly. They're funny money. Exactly. And that's what I took into account when thinking about my CloudMinds offer. So CloudMinds, when I got the offer, I was going to be employee number 43. Of this startup. Of this, this startup. Uh, gotcha. And you are at Intel. You're in your huge enterprise job exactly. doing this. And you're out there testing the waters to see what's out there. Exactly. Okay. So I was going to be employee number 43. So RSU-wise, a big part of me was saying... Well, just think of the RSUs as the icing on the cake. But the other part of me said, wait, but if this company appreciates 3x and this number of RSUs, oh my God, okay. But don't think about it too much because you don't know if they're actually going to go IPO or be acquired or whatever. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. And the offer looked fantastic. The team looked fantastic. And the work that I was going to be doing was fantastic as well. And uh, this is something that I would suggest everybody in the audience. When I look at offers and I scrutinize companies, I think of the three M's. I think of first, the make. What am I going to be making? And would I be happy with what I would be making? The second M is management. Would I be happy with this direction and these things moving forward? And three, money. So there is a sweet spot in which all of those intersect. And depending on what stage in your life you are, you may try to be optimizing for money. Like if you owe a lot of money, naturally you're going to be optimizing for money. If you really want to learn a lot of things, it makes sense if you just try to optimize for the make. But you, gotta, you have to understand that this is Silicon Valley. So you have to try to find that sweet spot. That would be my advice. And if management is great, then that's an awesome thing. Because they, if management is great, then they will support you. They'll give you the projects that are going to make you grow. They're going to put you in the situations where you're going to grow, whether you like it or not. And you're going to learn. And that's going to give you wisdom that you're going to use later. So that was kind of a side comment, which I think is really important. But once I was in CloudMinds, I really like CloudMinds. Can we take a step back? Because let's say that you're at Intel, you have mm-hmm. these comfortable enterprise, huge company. There's 100,000 people that work at Intel. And you decided to jump to be number 43 at this startup. So, you know, I, I'm wondering what was going through your mind as you were deciding to make this jump? How do you approach the job search process? Uh, I mean, because I'm sure that CloudMinds wasn't your only interview. Yeah. So like, how do you go about organizing this process of, okay, I'm ready to leave. I want to meet my 3Ms, management, what I'm making, the money. So what was the framework? What kind of other companies were you talking to? So back then, I was focusing too much on the make, for sure. I was really optimizing for the make part. And looking, of course, looking a little bit at the management, making sure that I was going to go to, a, if it was a startup, I started with a strong team in the founders or in the VPs or the management, the technical leadership. That's what I was looking at. So I look at CloudMinds. I also interviewed with 
Magic Leap and Facebook. And this is what I wanted back then, just looking at the make part really, really closely. And that's what I used. So I was trying to predict how much impact I would have at a specific job if I took it. And when they told me I would be employee number 43, making projects that we talked about last year, right? making this social robot that would be able to do all of these tasks for you would be... Mm -hmm. Robotina. Robotina. Robotina, I yes. forgot her name in English, though. Uh, the one from the Jetsons. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how it works. Oh, by the way, people, this is not our first language. So you got to understand. Rosie, the robot maid. Exactly. So. And, that, and, and that's fine. Like, But like, I think that you, you have quite the interesting journey, you know, when you're switching these careers and making these decisions, because it's about managing uncertainty. Yeah. I think as an immigrant, we kind of are more comfortable managing uncertainty. Yeah, I totally agree. So that gives us a leg up. As opposed exactly. to somebody that's uh, from the U.S. that happened to be born here. Exactly. Because I think that we are... We already left know, the country. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like like, like we, we are about being like quick in our feet and being okay with uncertainty and switching cultures and exactly. being, having that fish out of water experience. Exactly. And uh, it's a very broad brush that I'm painting. I honestly believe there's something to that. Yeah, to I, I totally that, agree. Yeah. That you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uh, it's the opposite to being risk averse. Yeah, <laughs> like a like a like, like a, a, risk, risk, a risk a risk lover. So so you're looking at different companies. You're looking at cloud mines. You're making Robotina or exactly. Rosie the robot maid, which is great. I love to have a robot maid someday. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I have that crappy Roomba somewhere in that corner, <laughs> and, and it's, it's really crappy, man. I, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really do its job. And she doesn't talk to you. She doesn't ask you how you're doing. Yeah. She, she doesn't tell you jokes. Not friendly at all. I mean, I guess you could download, I guess you could do like a pseudo download jokes into it. But now that you're not at CloudMinds, who's going to do that for me? Yeah. Man? I don't know. And, and it would still be hard to do that stuff because like, just like just two weeks ago, I wanted to train a chin to have a chit chatting conversation with me with natural language processing. And for the better or worse, I downloaded a few books from mm -hmm. Plato and I trained my machine with using Plato's uh, way of speaking. And I started a conversation with it and it would say the word state very often because, of course, I downloaded the Republic. So <laughs> uh, So you have to be careful what are you picking. Yeah. Take me back to that part of um, you're looking at cloud mines, you're going through the process. And uh, can you walk me through the interview process? Yeah. So how are you managing having interviews with all these companies, with Facebook, with cloud mines, while having a full-time job? Like, how are you doing that? It's not easy. I had to ask for permission to uh, not be in the office whenever I had full day interviews. And the way it works in, in Silicon Valley, or at least in this four companies that I interviewed at this time and with pretty much all the companies that I have interviewed with in the past, is that you have your phone screen, which is usually a coding interview and using some coaching platform. And then if everything goes okay there, you go on a full day, four to six hours interviewing, and you have to prep for that. You have to uh, solve problems on your own or with your friends on the whiteboard. The problems that you find on LibCode, Geeks for Geeks, PRAMP, and all of those places. We can go into detail if you want to. Right. 
I would solve all of them, the ones that have answers that I can find and, and see if what my solution looks like is what it should look like, if it is the most optimal or the second most optimal or how suboptimal it is. That's what I would do. And I would do it because, well, first I wanted the switch, but second, I actually enjoyed the process of solving some of those problems just for fun. I'm the kind of person that goes to uh, hackathons and programming competitions. Mm -hmm. So maybe that has to do with why I also enjoyed the preparation part of this. And so I took a good amount of time, maybe like a month, just preparing to make sure that I was up to speed. Right. And I had some mock interviews with friends. I would do it after work and also during the weekends. Got it. So you would spend like the three, four hours a day, like working on this, like after yeah. work and maybe do like all day Saturday. Exactly. Prepping. Do you ever use that book, the Cracking the Coding Interview? Oh, I or... did. Yeah. Um, I solved it. I solved all the problems in C++. Well, to prepare and also for fun. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, my favorite problems are not from Cracking the Coding Interview. My favorite problems are from Geeks for Geeks. For Geeks. C++, there's all kinds of training materials there. Uh, a lot of people posting answers. Do you have like a favorite prep platform? You know, like Geeks for Geeks, got it. But like, if I'm not a coder per se, but it's something that I want to get my feet wet into, like, is there like a good place that where I can go and learn these kind of machine learning? Yeah. Topics? So if you want to learn the, the topics, I guess it would depend on how deeply you want to learn them got it so what we we're talking about earlier was about just general software engineering for this if you want to learn something very broadly but still have some interesting projects for you to show later i would recommend some courses in coursera there is the one taught by andrew ang mm -hmm. which is my favorite he is amazing that one is one of my favorite ones yeah it's actually the most popular course for Consumers. Oh, really? So B2C is the most popular course nice. uh, across the whole platform. Nice. Yeah. It's just amazing. The fact that so many people are curious to learn more about these topics. So Nice. So I would recommend something like that. There are professors from universities that they have their classes just like everybody else does, but they also post the lectures and the homeworks mm, and the right. projects online so that people solve them. And one of my professors from Virginia Tech. He was hijacked by Facebook. So he's not Virginia Tech anymore. Hijacked by Facebook. That's yeah. the name of a sci-fi novel somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, it's it's more than being hijacked. There was uh, there were some good dollar signs there. Awesome. So uh, he used to teach computer vision, which is how you use certain math and certain algorithms to be able to predict the color of something, black, blue, red, whatever how you narrate what's happening on an image, how you narrate what's happening on a scene, how you classify if the animal that you're looking at is a dog or a bison. That's what he used to focus on. And he used to teach that and he used to post his lectures. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of people doing that. Got it. To get your feet wet, to have a platform so that you can install all the things you have to install and follow the instructions. That's a great way to do it. If you're already a software engineer or... You're probably, if you're in like your junior or senior year of college in computer science, you could also potentially just go straight to the uh, the KRS tutorials, the TensorFlow tutorials, do all the downloads and installs and see how the functions work. But also 
take a look at what the math looks like because we haven't really talked about the machine learning interviews yet, but the machine learning interviews are math heavy because for most machine learning roles, what we want to hire is somebody that, okay, is going to be able to use the latest frameworks, be it from Google, be it from Facebook, be it from Uber. But also if things are hitting the fan and all hands have to go on the deck, how many people can work on optimizing our internal machine learning tool just a little bit so that we don't run into this problem anymore. If we go down for 20 minutes, we lose millions of dollars. And the problem is something in the machine learning framework. Why don't we ask the machine learning engineers to try to fix that problem? This is why these machine learning roles are so math heavy. And also think about all the possibilities. So machine learning, artificial intelligence, whatever you want to call this, it's just math where you try to optimize for something. And now, how many different functions exist? Like how many different math equations exist? It's an infinite amount. It, exactly. So how many of them have we tried? It's not enough. <laughs> right. Are we ever going to try the infinite amount of equations? No. But quite frankly, we have tapped only on very few of them. So if you are very involved in the math part, which I think you should, you're going to have a leg up you're going to be above many candidates and you're actually going to be the one to try that weird equation that you came up with when you were in the train. And maybe that's going to have some results that are going to translate into millions of dollars of savings for your company. Or maybe you're going to create your own company just based on that math equation on the framework that already exists. Math heavy. Math so, heavy. Yeah. I, I, I like, uh, I really like that you mentioned how stepping away from the code and going to the whiteboard and looking at the equations or the actual models. Mm -hmm. So almost like asking the mechanic that's exactly. fixing my car, can you rethink of a better way to do combustion? You know, 99.9% .9 of them are going to say, what are you talking about? Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> But then that 0.1% is going to say, actually, yeah, what if we could control and instead of burning oxygen we burn hydrogen and they're going to go in the tangent that way so knowing the principles behind the equations not only being a technician but being a real engineer so understanding the math the fundamentals that's amazing even though i would love to talk hours and hours and hours about machine learning yeah. models yeah we have let's talk money yeah because uh, i think that's something that we can give people a leg up on yeah We're in this unique position where we have negotiated offers and done things like this. So you're going to CloudMines, you're going to the process, you pass the screening, obviously, you pass the interviews. How was that first offer made? What did that look like? like you get a PDF in the mail? Like, what does that look like? Because they were a much smaller company, we had a conversation over the phone and they said some numbers to me. The first numbers that I got, I didn't quite like them. And... Don't get me wrong, they were good. At first, they were below what I wanted. And maybe I was more honest than I should have been with the HR person. I told her that the offer was unattractive with those numbers. And of course, she didn't know that I had already talked with my manager and that I knew I had something big coming, money-wise, and that I was projecting and expecting to have that much money in my upcoming paychecks, plus a bit more. And so we talked about it and... I explained to her why I didn't think the offer, I thought the offer wasn't attractive. I told her that I believed I was a top performing engineer and 
the way I knew was that every two weeks I would get great feedback and that I was due for promotion that would come in so many months. And she understood that part. And then she went back and then she raised the offer to pretty much as much as she could, given the position and given my years of experience. Got it. And this is a Delta of what, like 10K, 20K? So the Delta 20K. Okay. 20 to 25k that's great and that's what you got for arguing for yeah like a minute or like two minutes yeah one to two minutes and just me writing down numbers to make sure that the math was right yeah <laughs> and and it got you from like 150 to 170 or something like that yeah like, uh, okay uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so keep arguing, guys. <laughs> keep arguing. I mean, in those I mean, two minutes, I made more than, than I make an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's right like, uh, I want a job like that where I make uh, $10,000 per minute. <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> I don't have that job. I wanted to. Yeah. Where do we apply? But it's like, it's a way of looking at it. And it probably was really uncomfortable, right? To, to have that conversation at the moment. Like knowing you, like you were, you were there, you were like relaxed. You were doing yoga while having that conversation. Yeah, kind of. But for me, I get nervous when I have those conversations, but I know I get nervous. So that's why I write everything down and I keep my voice nice and cool. See, so the, the funny thing is that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When I had that conversation, I was like, I came in the conversation thinking that I had the upper hand and that they really liked me, that it was going to be hard for them to find someone that met the bar and that I had something great coming up in just a few weeks. So I came in super relaxed and I think they, they realized that I wouldn't mind waiting for the right PDF mm -hmm. with the right type of work and the right type of team. So they gave in and they were actually very satisfied with the work that they got done. It's awesome. So keep arguing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So great. So how long were you at the Cloud Mines? This is going to sound a bit embarrassing, but I was there only for six months. And there is many reasons for that. But when I was going through this process, it had to do with the culture of the company, some things that I disagreed with and that didn't seem that they would change. And it's okay. Some people were okay with those things and they stayed. Uh, some people were not and they left. And is this because they were a Chinese startup? So they had like a different sense of how many hours to work? See, the, believe it or not, that was not the problem. In fact, this is going to sound a little bit scary, but for four months, I didn't have weekends. We had so many things to do and only two people working on them that I just didn't have weekends for four months. In those four months, I grew like nothing else has made me grow. So if I had to go back, I wouldn't decline CloudMines. So the, there were interesting things with how this company approached things because it was only like 40 people in the US, but 200 in China. And I was one of the three non-Chinese speakers at the company. They would start this conversations on WeChat and I would WeChat is the most popular messaging and payment sending and social network mm -hmm. in China. And we would have all these conversations. They would all speak in Mandarin. Mm. And I would have to translate comment by comment. And some of the things that I struggled with was that when in China, in Mandarin, 
there is only one tense. So when they would speak to me verbally or when they would write in English, I wouldn't know if it was about something that was getting done at the moment, if it was done already, or if it was going to be done in the future. So there were a lot of confusions there and being able to frame the questions correctly to get the right context, to guess the right tense was a bit hard to get into at the beginning, like get into the mood to do all of these things to do all of this extra work. But once I did it, and I did it with a little bit of feedback from someone. Uh, once I did it, it was good. They also had an interesting way of looking at knowledge spreading. And I don't know if this is all Chinese startups or just my particular division within the startup, but I would write some documents for knowledge spreading so that people knew how to use some of this stuff that I was doing. And there was one time I got feedback from someone saying that they felt like I was stepping on someone else's toes. And then I said, wait, how am I stepping on someone else's toes? This is the code that I wrote. And they gave me some strange reason, which I didn't buy. But from that moment onwards, I was like, okay, maybe there is something cultural that I don't know, or maybe it is just this person. But what I would suggest is that you have an honest conversation with your manager or director or someone to tell you what the expectations are. Because I came from Intel where at Intel we had a, uh, what is it called again? It's we have a, a competitive... Co constructive confrontation. And not only that, we also have a competency checklist. Yes. So this checklist, and well, it's not like a checklist, it's like a whole document. It tells you how someone with this title and this pay grade behaves and what they get done and how they communicate. And is how... it is a competency matrix. Competency matrix. So it's a grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight. And it goes into detail as far as you're expected to be leading task forces at this level. You're expected to be a subject matter expert in these areas exactly. and so on and so forth. So when you have these salary negotiations internally, if you can demonstrate that, hey, I've been performing at grade eight level for these two cycles, then I, I'm ready for that promotion. It's a great tool for those conversations yeah. because as long as, you know, your management supports you, because yeah. you, you you definitely need that M, that management M, that yeah. makes or breaks makes working break. relationship. Because exactly. uh, I've been in situations like I've never left a job because of money or like mm -hmm. just money. It's been because either I think my boss doesn't have the right vision or the boss doesn't support me or I don't feel that the goal of the team aligns with my personal goals like if i feel like i'm not growing yeah i'm gonna go somewhere exactly. else because you have to keep on growing right even though maybe the money is nice and there's comfort and comfort is tricky because uh when you find that you're good at doing something and you do it really well and, and it's almost like, it like more a, <laughs> yeah because uh, you get that positive feedback so you keep doing it you get stronger but then other areas of your career development are probably getting not as developed i think the average is like uh every two to three years do something new you know start dusting off your resume and, and do something new maybe not every six months but <laughs> But uh, but yeah, but this this episode is about <laughs> this episode is about the two year journey. So two and a half. Two and a half. Dude, like I'm gonna have to change the title, man. And it's okay. It's okay. Two ish. Two-ish. Got it. So yeah, the, the reason I brought up competency matrix is because the companies also tend to tell you what's sacred and what's taboo. And what I mean by this is that they're going to tell you that they want to see you strive to behave like this and this and this. So for example, at an infrastructure team at Facebook or Uber. So what's sacred that you make high quality code that can serve a billion simultaneous users? I don't know. They're going to have those rules, but they're also going to have that taboo. 
taboo. So what you should never do. And it's going to be something like, okay, well, don't put code into production that you haven't tested and those kinds of things. But they are also going to tell you things about tips on your communication. So this is the one thing that I would change about my interactions at CloudMinds. I would have asked what was taboo, especially coming from a completely different culture. Not just because I was coming to a new company, but also because it was different culture and different ethnicity. It's like you were working in Santa Clara still, but you might as well be in Shenzhen for all sakes and purposes. Yeah. So interestingly enough, we were in a building where in a Great America Parkway, where there is a lot of startups, all of them are Chinese startups. It's even considered like some cultural exchange, honorable building or something like that. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. So we touched on cloud mines, the work environment, you know, that sense of, you know, like not belonging because, you know, you're the fish out of water, literally. I mean, you're the only Latino in the whole company pretty much i think like you were the only one right there were two but the other guy was uh, doing business and not being in the office too much because he was doing like, like sales like closing deals something like that yeah got it i'm sure that he talks about you the same way <laughs> yeah they saw Lati- there was this latino guy but he was there looking at his screen doing code or something like that. It was always <laughs> locked in his lap, so he never talked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I was in happy hour Friday, and he would never come. He would just stay there with the code till Sunday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I do. You were at CloudMine six months, and then what happened? So I decided that some things of the culture of the company I can reconcile with, and I confronted people that I had to confront to see the changes that I wanted to see, but it looked like they were not going to happen. And I realized that maybe I should make a change where I look at the make, but I also look at the management because I didn't do that here. So I said, well, let's try now a few places. And I couldn't interview with Facebook or Google again because I had just done it. <laughs> yeah, and so, they have this rule that is every six months or something. That like every year. Every year. Got it. So that's a, that's a really good um, point to take that if you are having that Google interview and things don't go as you expect, give it a year, mm-hmm. give it a year because, uh, and they expect to see progress yeah. in that year. And so in this process, I had to restudy again a little bit to be sharp and ready for interviews. And I interviewed with a few companies where I made sure that the make was going to be great, but that the management was also great. And I ended up getting an offer from the company whose founder wrote the Lean Startup. He founded IMVU, which is where I went to after CloudMinds. And I also looked it up online and people were talking great things about the culture how it was a great place for engineers to be and a lot of cool things. So during some negotiation, following similar practices as earlier, for the better or worse, I landed at InView. And interestingly enough, I didn't just land at InView. I got a senior level position. So it was even more... They gave you the title? They, they, gave, gave, you me se- they gave you senior software engineer? Yeah. Did you make it to 200? <laughs> <laughs> you made it to 200. Oh my gosh. That's well, amazing. Well, I can't say the numbers, but yeah, I was senior software okay, engineer. Okay, okay, okay. No, I, I get you. I get you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you spent yeah. six months at a startup, no weekends, but, but you got the title. You got senior. Remember we were talking about the 10,000 hour rule? Right. Well, I don't know how many hours it did, but it was a crazy amount of hours. And <laughs> I guess it showed up in the interviews. Like it, it paid off. And it showed in the interviews. I guess the feedback must have been great. It's amazing. On multiple man. standpoints. Happy for you. That I got that title. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so what did InView focus on? The main product of InView is this social virtual reality 3D avatar platform. You can think of it as like a... Like Second Life? Like Second Life, yeah. There are competitors. InView poaches people from Second Life. Second Life poaches people from InView. And that is the main product. So you have all of this 3D assets that people can make. They're creators. They can sell them for a dollar or two. And InView takes a cut out of it. And that's how they're profitable. They're actually profitable, unlike a lot of places. And they do that for a living. They have a huge number of items that are on sale and the creators make money, which is, and this is something that I really identified with as well, because even though I wasn't familiar with what they were doing and I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be employee or whatever. And my impact is going to be like what it looked like it was going to be in cloud mines. I liked the onset mission statement that if you make money and helps other people make money, there are people in Vietnam, Venezuela, probably as well mm -hmm. that play around with imbue. And they make, I don't know, $80 a day, which to you and I may not seem like much, but you and I know how far they get to Venezuela. Yeah. In Venezuela, an engineering student can live a whole month with $30. So $80, exactly. that's a quarter right there. And there's also people that make $10,000 a month through InView. And not InView engineers, I'm talking about creators, people making 3D assets. Yeah, so it's almost like, uh, what's the name of that book? Ready Player One. Oh, yes. Ready Player One. So the same way that they had this second life environment and they have this uh, underground economy where people make assets, armor, weapons, things like that. And they sell it for profit, but for real money. So how long were you at Inview? Almost a year. Almost a year? Almost a year, yeah. Man, that must have felt long. <laughs> after after six months at CloudMind. <laughs> Inview was great. Like up until that point, I had never been treated so well at a company. And Inview, they, I was pampered. I was taken care of very well. And tell me a little bit about the perks, you know, for the people that are not familiar with how software engineers in Silicon Valley. Oh, yes. What, what were like your favorite perks from working at InView? So favorite perks, favorite perks were we had a lot of events all the time. We would have like, we'd have happy hours, we'd have game nights. InView is around 150 people. So I was able to connect with all of the people and that was super cool. And that's not exactly a perk. I guess that's just part of the benefits of working at a small company. But as far as the perks go, we had free gym. We had our three meals, we had some really good discounts with public transportation. We had, since we worked at Impu, we could get a lot of stuff for free in their uh, 3D virtual environment. We had an educational budget. I could spend a good amount of money every year on my education as long as it made sense for the company. So and like if, going to Stanford, take a class, go to a conference. and Exactly. Awesome. And if people in my team were not using their budget, I could use theirs. And people in my team were working really hard. So I, even though I didn't get to use a lot of their budget, I used some of it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then you you get meals as well. Yeah, you know, I got like a, yeah all my all my meals. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks. Got it. And snacks. Yeah, That's important. The <laughs> snacks are important. They're the a programmer's lifeline. The yeah. snacks. <laughs> if you don't have them, Jesus, watch out. <laughs> yeah like uh, nothing will get done yeah if you don't have coffee nothing gets done yeah no that's the that's the mantra that a, a programmer is a machine that turns coffee into algorithms yeah i see it every day 
<laughs> like I live it every day. I remember that time for Easter, for Lent, you gave up coffee. Oh, yes. There was some time I gave up coffee. I'm sure the Git repository was affected. <laughs> so let's talk Uber. Why Uber? So it's interesting. There were things happening at the InView where I didn't feel safe. And when you have an H1B, if you don't feel safe, you have to put yourself in a position where you're safe, internally or externally, or else you risk important stuff. And I didn't want to be sent back to Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So I felt risks and there were things that I disagreed with. So I put myself as available on LinkedIn and I started studying a little bit. And my strategy was that this time I would look for the make I would look for the management and I would look also for the money. I decided that I would focus on the three this time around because I think some of the things that happened at InView that led to all my disagreements and feeling unsafe had to do with me not looking at the M that goes with money in my Benz diagram. And so I put myself as available, hoping that I was going to attract a few headhunters from small companies. And I did get calls from a few headhunters from small companies like Google and Facebook and Uber and a few other places. And there were a couple of unicorns in, in those. And I knew at some point that some of those were going to turn into offers. And I decided to scrutinize very heavily the companies that I was considering past the final interview rounds that I had to scrutinize them. So with Uber, the interesting thing about the hiring process, at least the way it was for me, was that there were a couple of teams, a couple of recs, job openings for machine learning. And there were teams, I don't know, teams A and B were looking to hire machine learning roles. So I had my phone interview with team C and everything went well. So I was brought for an on-site and my on-site was with Team D and teams A, B, C, and D were not allowed to talk about me. And then just by chance, I ended up getting lunch with team A, met all of them. I really enjoyed the conversations and they told me a little bit of the problems that they were trying to solve. And since they were trying to recruit, they allowed themselves to tell me some of the stuff that they may not be allowed to say otherwise. Yeah, like confidential stuff that... Semi-confidential. Okay. That is on posters that they have lying around. But if you're there and you look at it, I guess... If it's there and if it doesn't have a black curtain on top of it, it means you can look at it. That's uh, what somebody told me. So interview with team D, lunch with team A. And since I'm into machine learning, I know what the machine learning brands are. And there are places that I'm really excited about and there are places that I'm not very excited about. Since 2016, I've been reading Uber's engineering blog. And I am a fan of some of the papers that they have published, of some of the professors that they have hijacked from universities of some of the people that they sent to technical conferences. And it looked like I was going to get to work with some of them. And in fact, I am. But so back then, that's what it looked like. That prospect of me working with these people, that's what I had, working with these great tools. Whereas I had some other places that were thinking about me, you know, that I was thinking about them, but that are not quite known for making breakthroughs in machine learning or releasing the most awesome open source machine learning tools in the world. I'll give you an example. There's this company that wanted me to be almost the lead for one of their projects, and I would define all the stack and everything else. But then I was looking at Uber, and then I was like, wow, so I'm going to get to use 
the stuff that they made for this paper. And if I decide that the architecture of this isn't good enough, then I just change it. And Uber a year and a half ago said, you know what, TensorFlow is good, but we can make it better. And they made it better. It's a team of 20 people. They took an open source tool maintained by 20,000 people and they made it better because they said, screw it, let's read these papers that are going to make things better. And we're going to use that to make this better. And they executed on that and they published it. And it's open source. And hundreds of thousands of people use it. Yeah. All because one guy in San Francisco couldn't get a taxi cab back to his apartment yeah. after the bars. Exactly. And that's how Uber got started. Yeah. And so I also knew that from interactions with lunch, the team was a team that focuses on production. It's a team that wants to make solutions and put them into production. But it's also a team that does a lot of investigation, that looks at problems that nobody else has solved. And after looking at the problem nobody else has solved in finding a feasible solution, then they say, okay, how can we make this work so that we can serve 100 million users at the same time so that it runs fast enough? How do we do that? And how do we open source it? And at that point, it became very clear where I had to go. So that's how I was really sure that the M, the make part was going to go well. But then when in my mind, I was really set on the make, I told the HR people at Uber that I wanted to scrutinize them. So I got lunch with the director and I also met the director's boss. And this was one day that I went and they also invited me for the uh, Lunar Year party that they had at Uber. And I met the VP and the CTO. So I scrutinized them all the way from the person that today is my manager to the CTO. Well, back then, my conversation wasn't exactly with the CTO, it was with someone who reports to the CTO and told me a little bit of the culture. I think this person was VP or something like that, or chief of something. And I met a VP of engineering, and I was really happy with the people in the management teams that I met. And it sounded like they were going to have my back no matter what, that they were going to push me, that they were going to reward me, and that they were going to help me grow. And how often do you get to deploy a machine learning solution that affects millions of people every day? It wasn't going to happen at the other companies. And I love the fact that you knew exactly what you wanted and you were bold and you took risks because HR could have said, no, thank you. We'll look at somebody else. I'm not going to give you access to the director's calendar. <laughs> A director at Uber. Yeah. No. How many meetings do they have? <laughs> yeah. They made the time. <laughs> and they made the time. And they invite you to this lunar party. So they really wanted you. And it goes to show that not only they will wind you and line you, but you can have a little bit of leeway because you have the upper hand because mm -hmm. you have the right skill set. You know, the machine learning tools, the algorithms, you have the experience, you have the connections in the community, you're involved in the forums online, your GitHub repo is nice and healthy. So yeah, guys, learn how to code. <laughs> <laughs> this was the dream job for me, not only given my background, but it's also given my personality. This team that I'm part of, they read papers on machine learning every week and they make sure they implement some of them. This is what I was doing three years ago when I was doing my master's. And I also try to keep that momentum going when I was at Intel and CloudMinds. CloudMinds also kind of did that. And I also try to keep that momentum at InView. And seeing that this team not only is okay with me doing that in my free time, but kind of enforces it and gives me like, we have a budget so that we meet and have these discussions. And we have like special workbenches with like GPUs and whatnot so that we do this, so that we improve our skill set. That's awesome. And it's been only a week and a half, but in the past week and a half that I've looked at the data sets and all the things that I have available and 
all the things and people that I'm going to be interacting with. I'm sure that I'm going to feel like a kid at a toy store every single day of my tenure at Uber. It's amazing. Well, I look forward to having this conversation a year from now and seeing well, how things gonna, are going. Yeah, it's going to be like, still at Uber? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, wait, you were here for six months, then you were here for 11 months. One year at Uber? Really? <laughs> They're going to give you, like, your gold watch or something. like. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to look back, you know, like when you were at Intel and now that you're at Uber, you duplicated your salary. But what about the job satisfaction? If you have to put a number in it. Well, it's been only a week and a half. Right now, I give it 10 out of 10 or even more. Okay. And over the past two and a half years, my satisfaction with the job, like you can expect there's been up and downs. Right now, I'm super satisfied. I give it a 10. In general, because I have always been focusing on being happy with what I'm making, and also the money has followed. Luckily, I have been optimizing for what I'm making, but the money has followed. I don't have to worry about money or anything like that. So my job satisfaction is probably over the past two years, it's probably like an eight out of 10, which is pretty good. And I'm sure the average is going to move up. But let me see. So if I add six months, you're going to be doing like, a, you're doing like a machine learning thing. I'm just happy that you're happy. And I'm happy that you found the place where you can enjoy like a, a kid at a toy store. So thank you so much for making the time Juan really appreciate it no, thanks for having me I, I know you gotta go get dinner with Uber CTO so I'll, I'll let you go <laughs> so, someday that's gonna happen you know that's gonna happen. like someday like data is gonna be like knocking your, your door like I know you guys don't have offices but <laughs> he'll be trouble <laughs> are you the kid that I heard about like come have some coffee with me I'm very outspoken so I'm probably gonna go pay him a visit <laughs> definitely you know those Latinos are loud so why not <laughs> Those loud Latinos. I did that. So I didn't tell. I remember. <laughs> I, I, I was there when you talked to BK. Yeah. Like you were talking to BK about, hey, how come we don't have free lunch? Like, I remember I was there. So closing up, any other advice you'd like to share for this audience of professionals, young professionals, not so young professionals that listen to this, you know, negotiation, the job search, interviewing, imposter syndrome, dealing with it, like any advice? Imposter syndrome. It's an interesting topic because I think in my case... I think I've been in situations where I should feel imposter syndrome, but I'm just so focused on executing or focused on something that it comes to me. I'm like, oh, wait, I got, oh, I'm going to get promoted. Okay, cool. I got to write this code or, oh, wait, I'm going to get promoted. Okay, cool. I got some free time so I can download a free data set and do something cool with it. So I'm just so focused on other stuff that I don't think about it, but it's there. Sometimes uh, I think I just got a, a little bit about it now that we're talking about it. But so don't let it paralyze you. Don't freeze because you have that in your mind. If you're getting a promotion, you know, just think of what's getting you there and keep on executing. What helps you get over the hump? Like, do you do anything special or just putting your head down, going back to the code, going back to what you do best? That's enough for you. I think that's that's enough for me um okay. sometimes i i make jokes about being promoted like i think i shared this with you when i was about to leave in i was made a tech lead <laughs> <laughs> like like officially like uh like 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 can you put it in your linkedin that tech lead it's, it's not it's not worth it it's like tech lead for like four weeks or six weeks yeah they're gonna ask you like it's what, very what, questionable yeah it's like what did you ship 
like <laughs> nothing like, it was only four weeks like exactly so i i shipped what i was working on before getting the title change <laughs> yeah <laughs> or i maintained what i was maintaining and just was executing pretty well i just make fun of things that happen yeah and keep on playing Keep on playing. Yeah, our friend uh, Liliana from Gilead said that phrase the other day, and it stuck with me. I think, like, I'm going to make a poster with it. Yeah, because our friend Liliana, and if you're listening to Latinos Who Tech, if you made it all the way here to this part of the podcast, <laughs> you're really liking what you're listening. So thank you. So she mentioned the other day that, you know, she's the first Latina to get a PhD in chemical engineering from Stanford. So I asked her this kind of question. Do you ever feel odd when you're in the room and you're the only Latina in the room surrounded by all these PhDs? And she told me very candidly, Hugo, if I'm in the room, I'm here to play. I'm here to get stuff done. And guess what? I also have a PhD. So if I'm invited exactly. to sit around this table, it's because my opinion is valued and it's expected from me to speak up and to bring my expertise. There's no time to feel no imposter exactly. syndrome. Exactly. You have to execute. You have to get stuff done. Exactly. I don't have time to, to feel imposter syndrome because I go to Uber, I do my work, and I exercise. And then when I'm done with those two things, I go home and I do machine learning for fun or talk with my parents or friends. So there really is no time to think about negative stuff. Yeah. That's a good strategy. You know, make sure that your schedule doesn't have time for it. <laughs> <laughs> when you get admitted invite from imposter syndrome, deny it. Yes. Oops. Decline. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm busy. Can we do from two to three? Never. <laughs> <laughs> from hour 25 to hour 25 and 30 minutes. So Something like that. <laughs> Awesome, man. No, thank you so much, man. This is being a, this is being a journey, man. Wait, thank I you think, for sharing. I yeah. think I have one last piece of advice. Go for it. So you, you have seen a theme of um, focusing on the make and focus on the make and that money has followed accidentally. And also because I've had the tough conversations too. So when you are looking for jobs and this is, I think this is something that I did really well at Uber is that when you're looking for your first job, don't necessarily pick a company or a brand, pick a manager. Because that is a person that's going to put you in trouble, put you out of trouble, that's going to have your back or that will not. And that's going to have the trust or not to give you the projects that are going to make you grow. So that's for your first job out of college. And then as you move on, don't necessarily do what I did where I was just focusing on the make. As you go through your career and the more impact that you have on your team or your organization, the more you have to scrutinize them. So if you're just coming out of college, just look at the manager because your impact will most likely just be towards the manager. If you're more like mid-senior, so in between junior and senior, you are going to have an impact within your team. So scrutinize the team. Look at the chemistry between them and you, which you usually get to do when you do this on-site full-day interviews when you get to have lunch with the team, which is what I got to do. And then if you're going to have even more impact, impact beyond your team, try to scrutinize the organization. Try to have a meeting with the director or the neighboring teams to see if you could actually get stuff done with them what the communication would look like. And if you're going to be like super, super senior, I'm not super, super senior, but I still wanted to meet the VPs and stuff. And so if you're going to be super, super senior with a lot of impact and interacting with a lot of people, just make sure that you assess beforehand 
what those interactions are going to be like before you take the offer. When John Scully was being elected as CEO of Apple, he scrutinized Steve Jobs and the entire company for six months. When someone tries to recruit a CEO, a C-level officer, once they have selected a candidate, even if the candidate is almost set on a yes, they take like a six-month courtship period. With a VP, it's probably three-month courtship. So you have to have your courtship period that you're going to have to determine based on your level, based on your experience, and based on the impact that you think you're going to have. That's great advice, Chris. I feel that a lot of us, sometimes we fall prey of the brand mm -hmm. or the dollar signs in front of our eyes. Yeah. But and then, it's hard not to. It's hard not to, especially if you are a college student, maybe you have a little bit of dev. It's hard not to. So actually going through the trouble of researching, we have all these tools. We have LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, you can look at your network and you can be have a candid conversation exactly. with somebody at the company and hey what do you think of manager xyz juan don't do it okay <laughs> exactly that happened to me a couple of times because i was in this rotation program over at intel and you know they love you because you're in this rotation program so if you work for this particular team you don't take headcount from them mm -hmm. so they love you because you're <laughs> you're free but then we have the upper hand So exactly. we have these informational interviews with folks that, so what do you think of team XYZ? They're good, but they're going to treat you like an intern. No, I'm not an intern. Like, no, I have experience. I want to own something. Like, okay. What about team Z? Don't do it. <laughs> okay. So check two off the list. I can focus on these other two that are really good. They're exactly. going to help me grow. And if you're in the situation like I was at Cloud Minds, where I was going to be employee 43, who would I ask on LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah i had no connections at cloud mines that's when you have to request for lunch meetings to see how people interact so that you decide whether whether or not that place makes sense for you right and i think that uh especially here in silicon valley and tactical advice lunch meetings are awesome because it's a great way of being able to step away from your office and oh Hugo, let's get lunch no, I have a friend visiting from out of town. I want to grab lunch with them. Exactly. And then you go have lunch at the company next door <laughs> where you're interviewing or doing whatever. And Juan, thank you so much. Anything else in your mind? No, no, for real. Go to grad school, kids. Go to grad school, <laughs> learn to code. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you.